The opinions expressed on That's a Foul do not reflect the view of any organization to which the host or guest are affiliated or employed. Lee Quarter in studio. Lore City, Ohio on the map. Relationships with family. Food bringing people together. It's all here. Let's do it. Sports are an integral part of my life, specifically officiating. I've met a lot of interesting people on deck and on the sidelines. From referees to evaluators, coaches to administrators, and players to fans, each one has a story to tell, and that's a foul is the place to tell them. Each episode, we'll dive into personal and professional lives to see how we can all be a little better tomorrow. I'm Chad Packer, and this is That's a Foul. So I've known Lee going on about 10 years now. We met through work and have become closer friends over the years. Our jobs, they kind of lend themselves to autonomy, but Lee and I have been connecting over the phone more and more and trying to catch up when we can. He is one of the most genuine people I know, truly cares about his family, his friends, and his team of teachers and staff. Our conversation was a little different than the ones we usually have. 75 to 80% of our conversations are usually movie quotes, sarcasm, and hyperbole. This one had a solid focus on leadership and how to bring about a life of living in the moment and therefore appreciation of all things that are good in life. We kind of flipped around a little in starting off talking about our organization and then we moved on to Lee's background, but it's cool. We can roll with things on that's a foul. Let's jump into quarter one. So Lee... Welcome to the studio here. Hey, thanks, Chad. Appreciate you having me here. Uh, just I'm real, real excited about what you're doing here. Real, uh, real proud of this. This is this is something uh, that uh, I can tell already. You're really good at. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, I, you know it's funny. We were we were talking. I don't remember. It was probably at the office, the water cooler, the proverbial water cooler, or outside the restroom down there. And um, I remember you said you said, "Yeah, man, I listen to some of that. I really like what you're doing. It's just." It really is just kind of pressing record and shooting the breeze and telling stories. You know, initially I told you I think I started thinking this was this was going to be water polo, right? Right. And now it's just turned into just telling stories, which is you are one of the king storytellers. So setting the bar high here, you know what I mean? Well, I think we both have uh, the looks for radio. Uh, that's for sure. <laughs> but uh, you you have the voice. Uh, I, I can I can that. tell that already. Yeah. Thanks. So we've been working together. Do you know this? This is my tenth year at Butler Tech. Is that right? Yeah. How many years have you been there? Uh, this is year twelve. Okay. Or thirteen. I'm not sure. Yeah. And uh, you know, one of my one of my first uh, memories of you was when we um, we <laughs> we played in the Butler Tech Swing for the Future golf outing up at the Elks up there, and it was you, me, Bob, and Tony Huff. I do remember that uh, Tony Tony Huff had perhaps the quickest backswing I've ever seen in my life, and uh, but I tell you when he connected, he, he would hit it he would hit it really far. Yeah, yeah. You know it's funny. I think about how much our organization has grown since 2011 and 12, and the work seems super focused now. Right, it is. Um, I feel like uh, we work for a great organization. Um, I feel r- real good, real solid about the leadership that we have and the direction that we have. We are we're bringing some very unique experiences to the kids of Butler County, Hamilton County. I'm a true believer in career technical education. This is my 30th year in education. Like I said, 12 or 13, the last ones have been in career tech and. Uh, I'm just so excited to see the things that we're doing and how gauging it is. And, you know, all our programs, all our teachers, they're, they're, the, the kids come there out of choice. Sure, um, sure. They come there because they're interested in a program. They stay because they're interested in that program, but they also stay there because they've made some sort of connection with that teacher. They've, they've formed a relationship, and um, that, that serves us well. We were talking, you know, off mic here about how, uh, you know, there are some districts and they're you're really pushing, you know, relationships, relationships. And that's something I think our our folks just do inherently well. 
I think our teachers are just really good at forming relationships. That just seems to be the last thing I ever have to talk to teachers about. Exactly. You know, is being relatable and caring about kids. I just think our teachers are just naturally good at that. One of the interesting things that I've noticed over the last five years is uh, in one of the, the districts that we work in here, uh, work around here locally specifically, is that five, six years ago, I would sometimes randomly get a question from a parent, an email or whatever, and they would want to know, well, why is my student, why is my son or daughter in a Butler Tech course? And, and you know, I would do the best they could to explain sure. what they were doing and how engaging and fun it was and the skills that they were learning and so forth. And what has came full circle in that same time period is, is when I hear something now, it is, why isn't my student, why isn't my <laughs> sure. child in sure. that class? Um, so we've made a lot of uh, um, progress in the last uh, five to six years. And we truly, you know, we, talk about, we talked about being college and career ready five, six, seven, eight years ago. And I feel at this point we're, we are truly bringing that to fruition. Sure. Um, you know, students, students can earn college credit while they're sitting in our courses for a lot of our courses. I just had my daughter as a perfect example of that came out of um, uh, uh, one of our career tech centers in criminology with uh, 22 credit hours. Oh, my God. So um, the program that she's looking into or she's currently enrolled in is only 60-some, so she's a third of the way th- to that goal uh, coming out of high school. That's so. a good deal. It is interesting to see how organizationally how things kind of grow and morph and change you know i think that the organizations that are the most successful are the ones that are uh proactive right they see what's coming and they think about it rather than being reactive well the other thing i think that helps with that is that we do do a good job of seeing what might be around the corner but um we've established some organizational some cultural norms if you will around our organization um don't ask me to quote every one of them (laughs) But I, um, but they are they are part of the fabric of the way that we lead and the way that we operate, and when you get into uncharted territory waters, if you will, we can use those to help guide us uh, to the, to the correct decision, to the best decision for kids. And uh, what's really cool about that is if and when there's ever a leadership change in the organization, if we can stick to something close to the yeah. to those uh, cultural norms that we have, uh, then it's sustainable. Yeah. Well, isn't that, you know, that's something else that I've, I've been thinking a lot about is creating a sustainable culture or sustainable practices or sustainable norms or whatever, because I am not going to be in this position in 15 years when I retire, I will I will not be in this position anymore and somebody else will fill my spot. You see what I did there? The idea that, you know, the, uh, what's it, I think it might even be something in, in Neola or whatever just called, you know, like a, a continuity plan, you know, where if this happens, this is who takes over. If this happens, this is what we do. And it, yeah, it just kind of becomes embedded, I guess. Right, know? right. And just one last thing on our leadership. I, I feel like... Um, we have really strong leaders. We have leaders with great ideas, but I, I feel that our leadership is also willing to be vulnerable. Yes, and um, take chances. And you know, they're not a. We're not afraid to fail, and we're not a, afraid to admit m- when we fail. Um, but the very next step is is okay. We did that. Now let's 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 regroup and get this right. And now. It's story time with Lee. All right, story time with Lee Quarter. Yeah, uh, we were just talking about how uh, that Mets helmet saved your life uh, back in the day. Fourth or fifth grade, you had that bike accident and that plastic helmet. Could have been the difference uh, in saving your life. It Probably just brought was. to mind a, a story of mine. Uh, I used to play with a kid up the street named Steve Bishard, and we would build tents and forts and stuff all the time, you know, with get a sheet, get some uh, clothespins, you know, build forts, wooden forts, you know, whatever scrap wood was laying around. So Steve and I played together quite a bit, uh, when, especially when we were small. And uh, one day he came down, and uh, actually, he had been wearing this helmet, uh, a construction helmet. And he had constantly been telling me, and 
I felt like put it in my face that his uncle worked for ODOT, you know, Ohio Department of Transportation, and, and that this helmet had came from ODOT. I could clearly see, you know, at the age of six or seven, that this was not of quality that anyone in ODOT or any other organization would, would really wear. So we're down there one day building forts, and he's got that hat on, and he tells him his story about his uncle Randy working for ODOT. And I said, okay, if that helmet's real, I said, you should let me hit you in the head with this hammer. Because if it's real, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be okay. He said, okay. <laughs> and he kind of bent over, and I, I drew the hammer back, just not very far, you know, maybe a foot or so from his head, and I, I swung the hammer. And it went through that piece of plastic like an eggshell and hit him in the head. <laughs> he dropped everything, ran up the hill to tell his mom. I dropped the hammer, ran upstairs, and hid under my bed. And I could hear his mom yelling as she was coming down coming down the street to tell my mother what I had did. And I looked out the window, and there she was, Pat Bishard. She was marching down there like an army soldier. And she told my mom, and my mom brought me down there and said that this happened, and I said that it did, and made me apologize to, to Steve and to Pat, and then my mom lit into me that evening with a belt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my story about uh, about helmets that come from Kresge's. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. I I hadn't heard that one. It went right through that thing, just <laughs> perfect hole, you know. In quarter two, Lee touches on a lot of stuff in his life. His stories from his time growing up, to his dad's music career, to his time teaching on a reservation in Arizona, to how he ended up in Cincinnati. Every single one of those things is covered up next. So yeah, man, we jump right into kind of our background and you know just some some positives about just that that commonality that ties us together. But I think there are a lot of other commonalities. I mean, you know, we have daughters about about the same age. Our wives are in education. We both enjoy golfing. Yeah. We both like tell a good joke. We don't take ourselves too seriously. But when it's time to get serious, we know you know that's let's get down to. I think that's why you and I get along really uh, really well. And you're one of the people that I. Um, I really trust. I mean, I admire what you do. I think you've got an amazing story just about how you get to, you know, where you are now versus where you were when you grew up. I mean, where you, you grew up in southeastern Yeah, Ohio? south southeastern, uh, south, or more like central, I guess you would say. Okay. It's between uh, Cambridge, Ohio, and Wheeling, West Virginia, uh, in that sure. area of Ohio. We're sure. about um, 35, 40 miles from West Virginia, Wheeling, West Virginia border. Mm-hmm grew up in a uh, really really small town um i didn't know how small it was until i left <laughs> years ago but little town was called lore city l-o-r-e city was <laughs> the name of this town we may have had um 350 people in it wow we all went to the same grade school it was a it was a k-6 building it was um uh, we got a we got a great education it was one of them situations where our first, our first grade teacher was also our second grade teacher uh, <laughs> sure. in the same room, and the same thing happened in grades three, four, and then five, wow. six. So, yeah. you know, by the time that we went through that building, we would have had maybe four teachers. So, yeah. Wow. And uh, an, interesting, an interesting thing about that little school is that we spent an inordinate amount of time on reading. 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 Okay. Yeah, reading and literacy. Hmm. We may have not gotten much science and social studies, but right. reading followed by math, uh, there was just an extraordinary amount of time spent on that. And interestingly, when when I went to high school, although I wasn't in this group, uh, it was very common for the valedictorian or the salutatorian to have come from Lower City, um, which was one of the smaller schools that was feeding the consolidated high school. So. Uh, hats off to those teachers and, and and in fact in some of our leadership things that we've did at Butler Tech when they ask you to reach out to a teacher who made an impact on you yeah. you know I'll, I'll contact one of them teachers from Moore City so I think that's cool yeah but the town itself was uh was interesting it was uh it was full of immigrants from the, you know eastern eastern Europe okay 
we had uh, we had our own post office. There was a gas station. There was a general dry goods store, and there was a restaurant and a barbershop. Wow. We had all that, you know, right on sure. Main Street, sure. uh, if you will. And uh, if you had any spare change from cutting grass or raking leaves around the neighborhood, you'd run down to Vic's restaurant and go buy a go buy a pop and a bag of chips or something like that. And when you walked into that place, oftentimes the old folks uh, were in there playing cards. Okay. You know. And you had to wait till they were in between hands, you know, before they'd actually come and help you. Uh, but if uh, if Mary Barco, the owner, you know, if she trusted you, then she would let you go around the uh, and, and pick out your candy. But it wasn't uncommon to hear four or five different languages. Um, really? Um, yeah, in that in that little restaurant. That's that's insane. So what was what was the main industry or jobs or anything i mean in that area was it you know i this is kind of probably a little bit of ignorance on my part but i i think about that part of the state and it's was it coal was it agriculture was it timber what was originally what brought the the immigrants to that area of ohio was coal okay um that was a, was one of the coal capitals of the world if you mm-hmm. will for a while in production that would have been in the early 1900s okay which brought a lot of those immigrants sure. um to that area because um, they were, you know, they were decent-paying jobs. They were dangerous, but you know, you could make a living wage off of it, sure. and that's what brought a lot of those folks to it. Now, by the time that I was born and raised in that area, that that had went away. Okay. So, what we had was uh, uh, not much. Uh, it was not uncommon to have 15, 18 percent unemployment. Oh boy. Um, um, all along, you know, and okay. factories would come in and out. The last big one we had would have been NCR, if you remember that National Cash Register. Which yeah, oh is yeah, a yeah, huge yeah. Out of date, and that yeah. was a that was the largest employer for a long time, and then you know they moved out in the late eighties, and um, the the area actually never really recovered until uh, oil and gas and fracking came back. But that's that's sort of been a, a you know boom and bust as goes okay as is nature with that that kind of sure industry. Wow. So after high school, then you make your way to Ohio University. Yeah, uh, I started out at the branch, um, at Ohio University, Zanesville. Okay. Um, I didn't have the funds to go. Uh, probably didn't have the grades either to go to main campus uh, right. in Athens. So, yeah, I started at uh, Ohio University, Zanesville, and I remember the one of the first courses that I took was a psychology course, um, and and also a sociology course, and I was just just I just really loved it it was one of the first times um other than a few times in high school that I was really uh, I was really excited about um, going to school so I guess if somebody were to ask me I would say yeah I've, I've always known I was going to be in education I mean I can just think remember fourth or fifth grade saying yeah I'm going to be I'm going to be a teacher is that something that no it didn't happen that way for me the year that I graduated high school I didn't go right into college and I didn't really know what I wanted to do I uh, bounced around jobs a little bit. I was a clerk at Speedway during on third shift, um, which actually I loved that job because I talked to some real characters that come sure. through there two or three in the morning. But I figured out real quick that I'm not sure uh, this is going to take me where I want to go. So, you know, then the then the thing was construction jobs, you know, get a job in construction, you know, it pays mm-hmm. well. and. So I uh, started pouring concrete, and I actually had to move out of the area to get a job to do that. Mm. And it wasn't me actually pouring and finishing concrete. It was more me raking and pulling um, concrete because, you know, the finisher finishes the yeah. concrete, and, and the rest of us are, are, are the laborers. That's right. Wheeling it over there and pulling it back. So um, six, seven months of that, and uh, I figured out, I didn't want to do that. So what I did was I, I got in touch with a with a government teacher of mine um, mm. that I had had in high school named Van Hoyt, and we had a long discussion, and he he pointed out to me that he thought that I would be a pretty good teacher, mm. um, for various reasons. I can't remember exactly what they were, but it was his push and um, his confidence that kind of led me that way. And I enrolled in in uh, OUZ. Wow. And uh, held a full-time job at the same time. I worked at a, um, um, a group home for uh, mostly disturbed children. Wow. It was a residential setting, so, you know, they were with us okay. uh, all the time except for when they went to school. So I would uh, work the night shift uh, from 11 to 7, 
um, leave leave it's you know leave right from work and go take classes, and then come back home, maybe do a little homework, sleep a little bit, and then you know just you know Jeez do that please. do that whole cycle over and over. But um, you know, but being around the being around those kids, you know, they come they come with a lot of a lot of issues. You know, there's, there's a lot of things just out of their control with their situation, and it really it really helped me understand the importance of working with young people did you know i went to i went to raymond walters did you know that we are satellite campus brothers in arms i like that i think that was exactly what i needed was kind of a little small school feel you know like a community college right i mean it's you're kind of in your community it's not this big you know forty six thousand person campus otherwise i just would have gotten lost you know that was very much like high school yeah, I was able to. Uh, I'm always I've always been a big relationship person. Yeah. So, um, and that's important for me. Any organization or any any community that I'm in, you know, that's something I always seek out. And I did that at OUZ, and uh, I, I had no idea how to study. I didn't mm-hmm. know I didn't have any good study habits or anything like that. And I was able to get to know some of my professors, and you know, they taught me. And without, I don't know that the same thing would have happened that I went to a main brand, main campus right off the bat. Now I ended up, I did up, end up down in Athens at Ohio University and spent the last two years there and, um, you know, made some great friends and, and had some great experiences down there. But if it weren't for that start at the branch campus, uh, I, I never would have made it because I had the support that I yeah. needed. Yeah, yeah. Huh. You've, t- you've told me a story just about, I, I know your dad was into music and he's got his... He's got some stuff on Spotify. Yeah, yeah, which is awesome. He passed that on to you. Is it just like a love of what he did? I mean, I know you have you have a you have a love of old country music, if that's the phrase or whatever. Like, what do you remember about that? Yeah, um, I I don't have a musical bone in my body, um, <laughs> but my dad my dad did. It came natural to him. He he could play the drums. He could play the bass. He could play the lead guitar. He could play the steel. He could wow. you know he he could that's the so flat cool. top and all that. And he learned that uh, he, he grew up in Harlan County, Kentucky, which is oh, way yeah. down in there, yeah. um, southeastern Kentucky. And his parents were his dad was a coal miner and his dad's dad was a coal miner. And he decided that wasn't going to be for him. So as soon as he graduated, I don't even know if my dad was 18, him and three or four buddies got jumped, jumped in a car and left left Harlan County and wow. started playing music. And they would go from town to town and. Um, you know, maybe get paid for a gig, maybe not. They would stay there for a few weeks. They would they would take a job. Um, he talked about digging potatoes. He talked about you know picking tomatoes, that kind of stuff. As soon as they got enough cash, they would pile back up in the car and then go, you know, go on to the next town. And he did that for years before he met my mother. And I'm not even sure how they met. If he somehow was in Cambridge, the ad area, because he had a gig there, or or what brought him there, but. You know, they got married, and uh, my mom had uh, my stepbrother, who's six years older than me, and they packed up and moved to Nashville. Hmm. And uh, my dad and the band, I think their name was the Leatherwood Ramblers at the point. They changed <laughs> they changed names a lot, you know. <laughs> but uh, they scraped together the money and, and made a couple of records, uh, a couple of vinyl 45s. And, yeah. Uh, back then, the way that it worked was you mailed them out. Yeah, uh, you know, you mailed them out to the radio stations, and if you got play, then you know you you might get picked up by a major label okay. or something like that. But no, his his label is called Sir Speed or something like mm-hmm. that, and you know it was one of those deals where you went in and you paid to have it made. Right. And, uh, they would provide the backup musicians and okay. so forth. But yeah, yeah, he, um, you know, I had to bring it to my dad's attention before he passed away. I said, Dad, you know, you're on Spotify, and, and he says, What Spotify? And you know, I had to explain it to him, but yeah, it's kind of cool because uh, you know it lives out there. And yeah, I can I can pull it up anytime I want to hear it, and oh, it's kind of cool. That is really cool. I'm I'm always super proud of my friends when they've got really good relationships with their folks. You know, because I think I I think about how much we as parents, for the most part, give to our kids, and you just want them to just you know, when they get to be our age now, just speak as fondly of you as as we do our as we do our parents. You know. Yeah, and I and I think that time lets us give more grace 
<laughs> to our parents. This is true. Because when I, when I, you know, I just told you this story about my dad, and you know, the the part that I'm not telling you is, is that he was gone all the time. Yeah. Okay. You know, so he's gone on weekends. He's playing on Friday night. He's playing on Saturday night. He's practicing during the week, and holding a full time job. Sure. And in addition to that, my dad was also somewhat of an entrepreneur. Um, he had a he had a TV business where he sold TVs. If you remember okay. the big ones that look like pieces of furniture, I you do. Know. Yeah, we had one. Um, <laughs> and back then, people would have them repaired. You know, they were too expensive to keep buying. Yeah. So yeah. he had a he had a, a pretty decent business of uh, selling and and um, um, repairing TVs, building the big TV antennas. Mm-hmm. Um, he would do that. So you know, we we really didn't have a lot of what I would say quality time. We'd catch it on vacation, but other than that, my dad was, he was either working, and I always like to say my dad worked a half a day, and I mean 12 hours uh, <laughs> every day, uh, between his his regular job and then his side job with the TVs, and then, you know, then he's playing music. So yeah. that's, kind of, that's the kind of way, it, the, the way that it was. I had a conversation with Maddie, you know, because I've, I've probably refereed too many water polo games in mm-hmm. my time. Um, especially now that she's away at school and I don't have that time back that you'll never get back. You have some passions, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we'll get into it later. We'll get into it now wherever the road takes us. But, you know, what advice would you give to, you know, 28-year-old Lee about, hey, man, you know, you're going to have the next 20 years to do X, Y, and Z? Uh, I would say the 28-year-old, uh, if I was giving advice to the 28-year-old me, I would say, um, you know, don't be so selfish with uh, things like golf. Okay, sure. <laughs> things like uh, hanging out with your friends some, uh, uh, whatever whatever the passion of the month is, you know. Um, I would say just you got to keep that kind of – you got to keep that stuff in check. And I did an okay job with it, but, as you know, as I reflect, which I, I'm, I'm a pretty reflective person, I, I could have did a lot better. As I got older, uh, I realized how important that was. And uh, the latest uh, side business that I'm in, which is barbecue business, food truck, um, that kind of stuff, uh, which I started about five years ago. And my girls were would have been 14, 15 at the time. Um, I got them involved in it. That's cool. Um, you know, they started working it with me. And uh, it, it, was, it was funny, you know, in those last four to five years of their high school years, I spent more time with them than I had uh, prior to that. Even though I'd coached their softball teams and sure. stuff like that, we, we really got to spend a lot of time together in pretty close quarters, if you will. Yeah, you know? yeah. And uh, it's, it's interesting that, to see some of the things that they've, they've picked up on. And, um, you know, they've, the, each one of them, for lack of a better term, have pretty good customer service. Uh, about them, pretty good people skills, things that they learned on that bus, some by watching me, others just by trial and error, you know. Sure. And um, so that that's been a that's been a really really cool side benefit to having that okay. having that business. You shared with me several times, and it's mostly maybe it's just because my my mom lives out in Phoenix. But I know that you know after college you made your way out to work on an Indian reservation and 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 teach teach kids there and coach the basketball team and I think I just think that's a fantastic so I know you've told me a million times but I don't know how many other people have have heard it how do you get out there and what is that like and what does that teach you and the Spartan living and things right like that? right well in, in the early 90s uh, I, I, I started teaching in the same district where I had graduated from okay and and I had alluded to some of the economic troubles that existed in that county about that time so my um, my teaching job I taught social studies. Uh, my teaching job was up to to be reduced, uh, RIF oh, sure. reduction in force. Sure. And our levies kept failing. The final levy that was going to be decide whether I was going to be RIF or not was uh, in August. You know, just a few weeks before yeah. school started. So um, I couldn't take a chance and wait and see if it passed or not. Right. So um, I I had a friend of mine that was uh moving out to uh arizona state to get his master's degree mm-hmm. in uh, construction management and he said you ought to just come out here with me you know look for a job so i started looking for jobs um right away i don't know if you remember the term list serves yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> it used to be these list serves you <laughs> know that would, yeah. would would have this had this uh had these jobs on it and um i found one in um near globe arizona at the san carlos apache indian reservation 
So I, uh, I got an airline ticket and flew out and met them and interviewed. And the, one of the guys I interviewed with, his name was Dick Blair. He's quite the character. We're still friends to this day. And, uh, after meeting him and meeting the principal and going around the reservation and meeting uh, some of the kids, uh, I just, I felt really good about going out there. Plus I needed the job, right? (laughs) So I went out there and, um, spent a year on the San Carlos Apache Indian reservation and met and worked with some of the the best kids I've ever been Mm -hmm. around in my life. Um, being fairly new to teaching, I had to coach everything. You know, I, sure. I, I coached cross country, <laughs> knew nothing about it, but I had a, a really, really good runner who finished second in the state. And then we had a basketball. I was on a, I was an assistant basketball coach for boys and girls um, because we traveled together out west, especially on the reservations. Um, sometimes we're traveling two and a half, three hours to get to oh the site where we play. Wow. So we traveled on, you know, we traveled on a charter bus. And if you were a coach, you were expected to coach both guys and girls. And we had a phenomenal run, actually. It was the first year that that school had been a part of the AIA, um, which is the Arizona Athletic, sure. yeah, their, their organization for the state. And the girls went to the Final Four um, in girls basketball, hmm. uh, and, and our boys uh, went to the Final Two. Wow, uh, we got to play uh, down at uh, where the Phoenix Suns played at that point. That's yeah, where our, that's where really? our state championships were. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, and then I uh, did track in the spring, and the same guy who was uh, real good for me in uh, <laughs> in cross country, uh, Leonard McIntosh was his name, and uh, he uh, he did really well in track. So uh, yeah, we did well. I mean, the reservation has its set of problems, but. Well, the people, if you get to know them and, 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 and they accept you and they know that you're there uh, for the right reasons, boy, they, they, they just love you to death. That is just so cool. I, I wish I had. I have a wanderlust about me, but I don't take risks and do things like that. I just, I again, tremendous amount of admiration for somebody that just jumps on a, jumps on a plane and goes out to Phoenix. You know, my brother moved out to Phoenix. Just my cousin was out there, but he grew up in Cincy and lived in Indy and yep I'm moving my life to Phoenix you know and there he goes that's a lot easier to do when you're 24 25 <laughs> years old than, than it is when you're 53 <laughs> but, <is>. uh, <laughs> but, but yeah yeah that, that move was like I said it was out of necessity but it's something that I'll never forget and um, like I said I'm still in contact with uh, uh, a lot of the folks that are that that I experienced out there so Mm-hmm. I wouldn't wouldn't change that for the world. And then I was lucky enough to get a grad assistant job um, back at OU um, the following year. Worked in the College of Education, coordinating uh, student teacher oh, uh, appointments really? and mm-hmm. evaluating student teachers and so forth. Which is kind of weird. I only had three years experience, right. and here I am, you know, evaluating <laughs> right. uh, student teachers. But yeah, I did that for a year at OU, and then you know got my got my master's degree down there at the same time. How do you end up in Cincinnati? Well, I ended up in Cincinnati because uh, my first administrative job was in Clinton County, uh, East Clinton High School. Um, I worked for one of the one of the best principals ever, named Terry Fouch, and I got involved in this organization called Leadership Clinton. And my wife worked; uh, she wasn't my wife then, but Carrie worked at a neighboring school called Clinton Massey. Well, through this Leadership Clinton initiative, we got to know each other. You know, spent spent the course of a year in these classes together once a month and you know when the courses were over you know that was it we sort of parted ways well right as soon as school was out the school photographer took me and a couple principals out to golf and i i met my wife carrie uh who was working the summer started dating dated for a couple years and we got married and then we moved down to loveland oh yeah yeah and that's what brought us into the cincinnati area and then we both ended up working you know, for some school districts hmm. uh, in and around greater Cincinnati. So we've been here, oh Lord, 20-some years nice. uh, in the area. And now, it's story time with Lee. You also have a story about, like, advice and just kind of being happy with what you are or where you are in life like I don't know, yeah can't remember it but i talked about that earlier in uh 
I guess I I learned it from my parents, and I, I learned it, you know, I just learned it growing up there in Lower City. We had this, you know, we had a small house, but it was it was it was it was as nice as it could be, and you know, we we often had to share bedrooms. But I had a I had a brother named Johnny uh, when I was little, and he had his own bedroom, and unfortunately, somehow, some way, Johnny was born with just a head. And um, he would lay on his bed and, you know, roll around and, you know, he's, he could talk and he had eyes and ears and so forth. And he was by the window and he could always hear us out there playing ball, you know, out there playing wiffle ball or football or whatever it might be, you know. So I remember my mom telling me the story. Um, she said, you know, she went up there one night and Johnny said, to my mom, you know, if, if I could, you know, if I could just have a body, uh, you know, that, that would be great. Cause then I could, I could kind of lean up on the pillow and maybe look out there, you know, and see what's happening. And my mom said, well, Johnny, just pray, pray real hard and, you know, see what happens. So Johnny prayed and prayed and sure shit. Next morning he woke up and he had a body. He was so happy. You know, now he could lean up and he could kind of see the game a little bit, but he couldn't participate, but he could hear it a little bit better and watch it. And same thing happens. He goes to say his prayers at night. My mom's up there and Johnny says, you know, mom, uh, if, if God would just give me arms, then I could, I'd have my body. I could prop myself up and I could really look out there. Who knows? Maybe I can even catch a pass or something. Mom said, well, just, you know, just keep praying, Johnny. So Johnny prayed and sure as you know he woke up the next morning he's got arms and he's just clapping and giving high fives and thumbs ups and he's loving it same story you know he's just just he wants just a little bit more a little bit more and then you know that's going to be it and he asked my mom he says mom do you think you think if i prayed real hard the lord would just give me legs mom said just just try it johnny have faith you know pray for them legs he went to bed that night and he prayed and he said, Lord, he said, well, if you could just give me legs, he said, I could, I could run and play and kick balls and catch passes and so forth. And if you give me this, it'd be the last thing I ever asked for, I promise. Sun comes up over the railroad tracks there in North City, wakes him up. He lifts up the covers. Sure shit, he's got legs. Johnny is just elated. He jumps out of bed, throws the covers off, runs over to my room to get some clothes on, you know, because he had been ahead his whole life. He didn't have any clothes that would fit. He picks out an outfit, throws some shoes on, runs down the steps, runs straight out the front door to go play ball, and gets hit by a damn milk truck. He's dead as hell. Everybody's crying and wailing, you know, the poor Johnny. You know, but my mom was, I don't know, she was as calm as she could be through the thing. She said, Lee, you know what the moral of the story is? Quit where you're ahead. In the final quarter of our conversation, Lee really brings it home by talking about living in the moment and what really matters. When did you move into the house you're in now? Uh, 2007. Okay. That's where Soup Fest is. Yes. What is yeah. Soup Fest for those yeah. listening? I haven't yeah. had the opportunity. Uh, Soup Fest is uh, just a, a fun get together event that we have uh, every October. Uh, we're not sure about this October right now, yeah, with, sure. uh, given the way that things are. But <laughs> basically, we get a bunch of people together, and you bring your favorite soup, and uh, you enter the competition. We could have uh, numbers were a little bit down last year, but in years past, we could have 50, 60 people there. Yeah. Uh, maybe 20 different kinds of soups of all different varieties. And uh, people go around and they, they vote. Uh, the only stipulation is you have to taste it if you're going to yeah. vote on it, right? Sure. <laughs> so, uh, and the winner uh, gets a traveling trophy called the Golden Ladle. Yeah. Yeah. Fairly high. It's uh, fairly uh, sought after in yeah. the soup world. Yeah. <laughs> Super on the professional soup circuit. I've seen it. I've just never gotten close enough to actually touch it, though. You know. 
Well, it's the same thing that's happened to me. Uh, I, I won it several times early on, but mm-hmm. I've, it's not been housed at, at my place for more that's, than probably 10 years. That's unkind. Has food always brought you and people together, or are you just a, an all-around fun guy? I, I like the way you said that because um, I was thinking about our, our discussion we were going to have today. I truly think that food uh, does bring people together. Mm-hmm. And it has potential to keep bringing people together. Mm-hmm. It has a, it has a, a really neat way of uh, we can share culture through food. Mm-hmm. There's really a lot of a lot of cool things you can do with it. But basically, I, I started cooking when I was just a kid. Going back to growing up in Lower City, there was a Catholic church that was probably about four or five hundred yards from my house that I grew up. I was always attracted to that church, even though I wasn't a member. We grew up Pentecostal. Um, a lot of, a lot of fear-based uh, kind <laughs> of stuff. Stories, you know, yeah. you're going to hell for everything <laughs> kind of deal. Uh, so I was always, uh, I was always attracted to that Catholic church up there because they always seemed to be having such a good time. Sure. You know, um, <laughs> they would, they would have polka dances and chicken barbecues and so forth. So, you know, I would go up there and they had huge Catholic festivals and so forth. Mm-hmm. And I would go up there when they would have them, and just, ours was always around Labor Day for some reason. But I would go up there and just hang out with the older guys. You know, when I say older, I mean these guys were in their late forties to fifties. They were World War II veterans, mm. and we had several of them in Lower City. And just to go up there and listen to their stories, you know, about um, you know somewhat about being in the war, but really just the the camaraderie that they had um, from sharing that experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, was really really cool. Uh, plus, they were good cooks. You know, they they would do four or five hundred chickens at a time oh on, on, on an open spit on a fire, you know, wow. a wood fire. So, I just learned a lot from watching them. Um, learned, you know, probably some things that I shouldn't have learned as early as I did, but uh, <laughs> but uh, and heard, you know. But uh, they were just such good people and. Um, and I, I just have so much respect for what's been called the greatest generation. And I understand mm-hmm. why it's called that mm-hmm. thoroughly, but I don't know. So I, I just kind of caught on, you know, I caught the bug of, 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 of cooking um, early on then. And then, you know, I've just always done it mm-hmm. um, in one fashion or another. Uh, you know, my, my dad's, my dad's uh, family down in, down in Harlan County, they were great cooks, mm-hmm. you know, cooked on coal coal stoves sure cook things from the garden cook things that were taken um you know from the mountain wild game and so forth so i've just always been around good food but the food that i've been around seemed to always have a story yeah around yeah, it that's know? a great phrase so, like i said i've always liked to cook i always like to entertain you've, you've been out to our house mm-hmm. uh, and it lends itself to entertaining and I, I just i like cooking for large crowds I like seeking feedback on, you know, what, what it is, whatever it is that I, that I've cooked. And, you know, sometimes at a point I'll probably bother people, you know, they're in mid bite and I was like, what do you think of that? How could it be better? <laughs> uh, that kind of stuff. But I started really getting into, um, smoking food probably about 12 years ago. Uh, you know, bought the typical master built that you could buy at Lowe's and something sure. like that and had some success with it. And then I just, as I often do with, uh, my hobbies and passions and I started going down rabbit holes and finding out what was the best and, and so forth. And, uh, uh, ended up, uh, ended up buying a smoke. Actually, my daughter and I, it was a day after Christmas. What year was that? I can't remember, but we packed up and drove to Virginia beach because one of these smokers that I wanted was, was for sale. Wow. Used and you could never find them used. Sure. You know? So we drove 12 hours and picked it up and, turned around and uh we did stay the night and then uh we came back and brought it back and uh, great story yeah so that one i had for a couple years and then it wasn't big enough so then we got another big one and then i took on a partner for a few years a business partner and uh we kind of we kind of grew it to to what it is today and it's it is enough it is enough business right now that it's about all that i want sure and, and desire uh, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to lose my edge of having the passion for it and, and having it. Really, I don't want it to be another job. Yeah, and it, it doesn't feel that way right now. But um, we do get a lot of requests. Uh, we've we've gotten pretty good. We can always get a little bit better. There's always a few things that can go wrong during a cook. But hmm. uh, I think I've I think I've got it down pretty much uh, to uh, to a science, if you will. One of the things that 
I think is really cool is I can, I don't know if you've ever gotten this feedback, but I'll give it to you. You open to that? Sure. Yeah. Great. You taught a couple of classes during our uh, annual meeting. And when you do soup fest and when you have folks over to the house and just, just the, you have this air about you that is just like, that's hard to explain, man. You just have this like sense of joy, not arrogance or not hubris, just joy in seeing other people happy with being in that thing that you have helped create, which is, in my opinion, the working definition of servant leadership. I mean, it, it is. And like I said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not blowing smoke just because you're my buddy. I mean it. Like you can, you have, a, you always, you always have this really cool countenance about you, anyways. But when you when you got your bibs on and you're out there, you know, showing what the smoker does and how this that whatever, and people are just enthralled by it. Like you get, you get this sense of um, ease about you because you're providing that to somebody. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I like, I like passing, passing things on, passing information around. Um, when I think about, I keep going back to Lord city and some of these folks that, that really influenced me was one of my all time favorites. But, you know, I truly love this dude. Uh, his name was uh, Chubb Wright. Oh, yeah. Yes, we called course. him Chubb. Um, <laughs> Chubb had been, um, um, he was a World War II vet. You know, had spent several years overseas and then came back and worked for Ford. And, and I, I believe that when he hit 30 years, he just retired. You know, he wasn't but about 50 years old. And he moved down to the area from Canton, Akron area, where he you know, had been up there in a Ford plant. And I didn't get to know him till he was probably in his 70s uh, when I started hanging around with him. And uh, believe it or not, I've always kind of wanted to be like this guy because he was so cool and laid back and did wear bibs. Uh, <laughs> but he, he was just always so friendly and open and would, would show you things, how to cook, um, how, to, how to roast the chickens, how to do the beans, how to... You know how to chop the garlic, how to do whatever. You know he was always so given that way. Mm -hmm. So, whenever I was in the area, I would always make it a point to stop at his house. And, I, and then, you know, as I as I got older and married and had kids and so forth, I couldn't do it as much. But, you know, as I talked to other folks around the area, you know, a lot of them did the same thing. Okay. So they would, you know, <laughs> go to him to. Uh, the guy probably never got any rest because he had visitors all the time. Sure. But. Um, I'm I'm starting to get some of that um, with some people um, in the in the barbecue business, you okay. know, saying what do you do about this and that, and, and it's a little easier now because you know there's a there's a Facebook group for about anything you can think of. Sure, it's kind of cool to to give advice and seek advice and exchange ideas. Yeah, that's neat. I don't know. Everybody has a cool story, and it's funny because even when you hear all of this that we talk about today, you could come back next week. And we might touch twenty percent of this. Well, I'm a half a century old. You got to remember that, right? You know, half a century. Are you fifty? How old are you? Fifty-three. Fifty-three. Yeah, I'll be fifty-four here soon. Wow. So when we met, you, we were, you were a little, you were, but you were about my age. I'm forty-five. So. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. It goes by quick, my friend. Boy, it really does. But you know what? I always say this. And I truly believe this in my heart. My best days are always ahead of me. Write that down. My best days are always ahead of me. Right. I'm not saying you don't look back on the past and enjoy what you did. And, you know, maybe you forget about some of the things you shouldn't have done. But I'm a firm believer that uh, your best days are always ahead of you. So much of leadership is deciphering when to tell someone what they want to hear and what they need to hear. I think you strike a really nice balance on that. You know, what they want to hear and what they need to hear. And sometimes that's the same thing. Well, I, I think you, I, I think in order to have those conversations, you gotta, you gotta have a relationship with the people. Sure. And if you, if you can build that and you can build trust and you can build, uh, going back to that, uh, give, give people permission to be vulnerable, um, and like I said, they trust you, then I think you can have uh, more open uh, conversations uh, about things. Um, the flip side of that, too, is um, you, you need to ask for feedback yourself. Right. Um, honestly, I still think I have some work to do there. 
I mean, I've got a few people that that I directly supervise that I can ask and they'll tell me the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I still think there's several others out there that, you know, they won't quite give it to me probably the way that I should hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm always kind of seeking that feedback. But um, I don't know. I think leadership's about being a servant leader. That's, yeah. that's, you know, that's what's worked for me. I mean, I've always did it. I've just been waiting for it to come around to where it was popular, you know. It took a long right. time, but... <laughs> Um, right. You know, it's always suited me well, and I think the people that I've worked for, it's it's suited them well. I think the most important thing I can do as a leader is to hire a good person, sure, and give them the support and get out of the way and let them do their job. Yep. Um, you got to monitor it. You know, if they're not meeting the expectations of the kids, the parents, uh, you know, then you got to be able to you got to be able to address it. I do find as I'm getting older, it's easier to address. I'm not uncomfortable addressing it. Right. Um, whereas you would ask me 10 years ago, 12 years ago, yeah, I was a little uncomfortable when I had sure. to have those conversations. But now it comes from the point of going back to the fact that we are a program of choice. Um, it's important if you're not reaching the kids, if they're not signing up for your classes, we have to find out what's, why is this, why is this happening, you know, and yeah. then have some, have some conversation. And is there anything that I can do to help that? Um, going back to that servant leadership piece yeah. to support you to, um, you know, get the kids in here and give them the, the great experiences that are available. But uh, like I said, as I've gotten older, I've, I'm able to have those conversations and they're not personal. A lot of times, some of them that I've had to have, you know, they're, they're people I really like, I just, right. but I still, it's a disservice to the kids and the families if I don't address it because we can get people that have been in the field for X amount of years, five, 10, whatever it might be. And bring in that expertise from what we often call the real world, sure. you know, <laughs> into, into the classroom. And if you can bring someone with that experience and can teach, it's golden. Yes. It's golden, Jerry. That's <laughs> golden. Ban you. Kenny, ban you. He's <laughs> underrated. If we're passing on lessons learned from Lee Quarter on to an aspiring administrator, what would you say? What's the right amount? I know the right amount of time is different for everyone, so that's why I'm asking about benchmarks. Like when when this happens, I know we're ready to go there. I don't know if you can even answer. I don't that. know. If, I don't know about the timeline part of it because I think it's it's uh it's it's unique to the individual. Sure. And you have to recognize that, but um, it's important to listen more than you talk. Mm-hmm. I think initially, it's important to uh, get to know them as as much as personally that is appropriate. I think that's important to people that if you take an interest in them, yeah. uh, you, like I said, you listen uh, more than you speak and then you just, uh, you show your leadership through serving them. And by doing, uh, following through with what you say, mm. um, you're going to do, if you say, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, uh, then you go out and do it. If something falls short and you can't get to Z, then you, you say, Hey, I, I wasn't able to do that. And, and here's why that's just seems to have what, has worked for me sure yeah i like the listening ratio there are times when i'll go into teachers who have become my friends and the ratio gets to 50 50 sometimes probably even more like 60 40 me mm-hmm. but you're right i think a, a really good ratio for me is is you know four to one five to one if we're if we talk for 10 minutes i'm going to talk for two and you're going to talk for eight right um that's something i've just kind of learned and listening to listening to understand and, and, yeah, listening to understand and also understanding that just because someone's telling you something, and I've learned this, this took me a long time to learn this, doesn't necessarily mean that they want you to do anything about it. Mm. You know, you'll have to decipher that too, you know, when you're supposed to take action and, right. and when you're just there to listen. And huh. to be honest with you, with with somebody that uh, maybe I don't have a, as a formed relationship with, I, I may flat out ask them. You know, I don't want to leave it to confusion if I don't know. Right. I'll say, well, okay, what, you know, what, what do you need me to do? What do you want me to do? And, you know, a lot of times it's just, well, I just wanted you to know. Yeah. So. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think sometimes uh, 10 years ago, Chad, when somebody said something to me, oh, well, they, they need this fixed. They need it fixed and I'm going to jump around and get it done and do it. Yeah. fret until it's done. Yeah. And then you, and then you go up and you hand them the cookies that they wanted and they go, didn't even want cookies. I didn't I want just, cookies. I was just telling you, it'd be. I was just I, telling you they had they had. I didn't want cookies, and you don't listen. <laughs> that's right. That's right. 
That's right. You never listen to me. That's funny. Kind of sort of putting a bow on this. When you put it all together, what 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 are the important things in life? Yeah, I, th- I think it's sort of come uh, full circle in a way because mm-hmm. I, I think about the importance of being in the moment, living in that moment, being present in that moment. And for me personally, I did a really good job of that as a kid and as a you know as a, as a as a teenager but as you got older as i got older i'll speak for myself you know it was always about you know what's next what's you know what's the next mm. job what's the next better job what's the next better house what's the next better car um i feel like i got caught up in that for a little bit okay and you know i i uh i, I regret that a, l- a little okay. bit you know so as I get older, I'm, re- I'm reflecting on that, and I'm trying to be uh, more present mm. um, in the moment, you know, whatever whatever that moment is. Uh, so I feel like that's one of the things I've learned. It's a journey. I mean, I'm still striving towards it. Right. So, you know, I probably missed some things along the line with my, my kids and my wife that, you know, I wish that I would have at that time been more in the moment. Right. So, hmm. Yeah. I wish I was better at that. I wish I was better at being in the... I think I'm getting there. Yeah, it's a journey. Sad deal. There we go. Fourth quarter where the stakes get really high. Are you excited to play? I am excited. I love the fourth quarter. <laughs> That's a good way to end. Might have to get some Lee stories in there too. Okay. <laughs> Favorite wood to smoke uh, the meat with? There, uh, that would be cherry. Why cherry? Uh, it's very, uh, it's very versatile. You can use it on poultry. You can use it on pork. You can use it with beef, and it's got a really subtle uh, smoke flavor to it. It won't overpower anything, so it's just, it's just very versatile. Hmm. We're on the golf course. You're 150 yards out. You need to be on and one with a two putt to break eighty. What club are you hitting on the approach? Which way's the wind blowing? At your back, five to ten. At my back. I am probably going to hit either a fifty-six degree pitching wedge or a nine iron. Okay. You hit the ball high. Do you hit it high? Um, I I have. I can. Yeah. I'm not very consistent. I've hit it. I hit the ball way too high. So I'm super susceptible to the wind. Uh, if a loved one watched you lead a meeting at school, they would be most proud of you saying or doing what? I would hope that they would be more. They would be most proud of me uh, listening to people mm-hmm. and um, being in the moment uh, when questions are asked and um, being sincere. Nice. You're flipping channels on a Saturday afternoon with absolutely nothing to do. And you come across a movie that, no matter where it is, you're going to watch the rest of it. What's that movie? Fletch. Oh, Partners in Crime. That's the, what's, your, what's your favorite line from Fletch? Oh, Lordy, there's so many. Um, well, I really like the scene uh, where he's playing basketball. That, that's, that's one of my favorites. Uh, where they they say grace under pressure, you know, and he sort of takes a hook shot, <laughs> and then they talk about his defense, and you can see him biting somebody that's on the right. arm. Yeah, that, that's that's right. That's an excellent one. And uh, then uh, I also like uh, you know when he's playing tennis. Uh, I, I can go on and on. That's a whole episode. It really is. I'm really glad that we 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 do trade movie lines back and forth a lot, well, a lot from uh, uh, Stripes. Yes. It's a big one. Caddyshack is a big one we trade from. Yes. Uh, Fletch. Yeah. yeah. Is a good one. Yeah, yeah. there's one-liners. For what me. is strange is, is that when you watch them, you know, after you've seen them a few times and as I get older and I start thinking, you know, that really wasn't all that well made. <laughs> very funny. That's right. uh, very funny. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there are some great lines in, in all those movies. Yeah. Fletch is a that's – a, that's a classic. And thinking about – all the people with whom you've ever come in contact with, is there anyone or any group who maybe stand out 
for one reason or another? It's a very open-ended question. Probably a group, um, a group of people. There's two groups. Um, that would be the folks that uh, I referred to earlier in the podcast, and that would be the, uh, the men and women from uh, the greatest generation, um, the World War II vets um, that I was, had, I was lucky enough to spend some time with. And then the other group of folks, um, you know, other than family, which we've learned a lot from, uh, would be uh, the Native Americans on the Apache Indian Reservation. Um, was uh, they were really cool to to learn a lot of different things from. And despite despite everything that they had been through, and their their parents and their parents and their parents had been through, they always just maintained such a good attitude and were just sure. happy. Yeah. Just laughed all the time. Sure. You know. That probably has a lot to do with living in the moment, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You've got a fairly big lawn at home. How how long does it take you to mow that sucker? Uh, it only takes an hour. I have a 1987 Kubota. Okay. A diesel uh, with a 60-inch mower deck on it. In fact, I just timed it the other day, and uh, we have like one point. One and a half acres the most, something like that. It takes about an hour if I do it all on the same day. Okay. Okay. Some people measure others by their scores on a golf course and some by height. How do you measure people? Some I measure them by um, how kind and considerate they are to others. Sounds about right. Stopping by Graders on the way home to grab a pint of ice cream. Can I get you something? Salted caramel. Oh, boy. That's a good one. It is. We went We went last night. Final question. Last one. Give us at least two pearls of wisdom we can chew on for a while. Two. Um, seek to understand others. And really don't speak out too much until you understand. But dude, I'm stoked you came over. I'm sure we'll sit, talk some more here, but we're probably going to press pause on the on the thing here. Like I said, man, I, I think um, I mean this genuinely. It's it's fun to talk to people. Uh, you know, look them in the eye and just tell them I I really really appreciate. Uh, love your stories, love your approach to life. I know that when I need it straight, I can I can call you and and get a get a get a pretty good measure on on things. But uh, something that you have taught me as a dad. And as a leader, it really is that kind of uh, be present in the moment and just just kind of be kind to people. Uh, like I got again, you referenced earlier in the podcast one of the things that it, you you exude joy and a zest for life. I, I'm not suggesting that you're crazy, outlandish, and you know running around being the life of the party. You'd rather be the guy that puts on the party and sees people being the life of the party. You right. know, and I just I really right. admire that about you. Um, I will Thank also you. tell you selfishly. I said, man, I, I have no idea how many people listen to this show, um, but early on, you just kind of said, "Hey, man, I I really like what you're doing. You know, I like I like this kind of like that, you know." And and you just kind of instilled me with some confidence. So sometimes, even when I'm doing these, and the the editing phase gets a little bit long, I'm just like, "Yeah, but Lee's gonna listen." So. Yeah. Well, I think you're a natural at it. Um, one, I think you do a good job of uh, facilitating the conversation. You know, letting it roll out. And then, uh, like I told you before, I think you really you really got a voice for this. Yeah. Well, thanks. I suppose that's kind of my my attempts at trying to get better at, at listening and and doing that whole servant leadership thing too. Because if you do servant leadership right, it it's actually pretty easy to do. You just think of others before yourself. Right. Right. Which is easier said than done, I suppose. But it is sometimes. Yeah. Like I said, when you when you start to get good at it, it just kind of helps you figure out your big rocks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess that's that for this, but we'll, we'll go ahead and press pause and, uh, and and then we'll talk some more. Carry on, my friend. Well, that was a lot of fun. I hope you guys have someone like Lee in your life. He's the person I tell people I'd most like to be like. That line, smooth as a gravy sandwich, that's Lee's. I use it to pay compliments to people's personalities who don't ever get rattled. If I need perspective on something or sage advice on how to handle something at work, Lee's my guy. 
I look forward to more conversations and hopefully a few more Coors Lights in his garage if we can make that happen sometime soon. I wanted to tell you guys, I don't have as much time to put these episodes out as I'd like right now. Uh, With water polo on hold, I've had the opportunity for some projects around the house that I've been wanting to get to for the last several years. Kind of getting into this massive fire pit project. I'm designing a backyard cabin and I'm, I'm really working some long days right now. Uh, I hope to keep getting these out every two weeks for a while until winter hits and the outdoor projects come to a halt. I really do sincerely appreciate you sharing in the stories folks are telling. And um, I'll catch you guys soon. Until next time, y'all, be good to the refs. Shout out to our friend and fellow referee Adam Carroll for That's a Foul theme music. If you like what you heard today, Tell a friend where to find us and follow us on your podcast service. As always, you can find show notes and other topics covered on today's show on our website, tafpodcast.com.